Coming up on this episode of East Screen, West Screen, Kevin has some news about a John Woo remake, a winning film in Osaka, and a bit later I'll be talking about the latest film from Adrian Kwan, Little Big Master. This is East Screen, West Screen with Paul and Kevin. Where if films were food, they'd be full of it. And welcome to another episode of East Screen. This is the show where we talk about films from Hong Kong, China, and other parts of Asia. I'm your host, Paul Fox, and joining me from his news desk at an elite international school in Kowloon Tong is Mr. Kevin Ma. Sorry, Paul, it's actually not an elite international school. It's just a love hotel that's in the theme of elite international school. Oh, I, you I, know, I'm teacher, sorry, I got, teacher, that, got that mixed up. Yeah. Yeah, hot uh, for teacher kind of thing. But hey, both work, right? Because they're both in the same area. Some actually right next to each other. Actually, the love hotel to to love hotel fee might be more expensive than the international school. So, um, yeah. yeah, I shouldn't be there. <laughs> it is one of the things about Hong Kong that truly amazes me is that you know because I used to work at uh, one of the international schools down there. When <laughs> I was first, gonna, first came I thought you were to say you actually. I thought you were saying you were, you actually work at a love hotel. No, no, <laughs> I haven't had that experience yet. But um, no, I worked at an international school. One of my first jobs in Hong Kong when I first came here, uh, back in two thousand and one, just just for about uh, you know half a year, about six months, and you know I'd go down there, get off the train, and then walk to the school. And a lot, you know, a lot of kids doing that because they don't they don't bus a lot of the kids. Um, if they can walk to some of the schools like they do in the U.S. And it was amazing. You know, you walk by these just weird-sounding named hotels. And, at you know, when I first got here, I didn't know. I just thought they were normal hotels. And then later, of course, I learned they're sexy-time hotels, you know, where you pay by the hour. And, yeah, there's some of them are just like smack-dab. You know, it's like one and then the other and then one and then the other. And then international school with the little kids, you know, walking by these places. And if you get there, you know, at certain times of the our early morning, you'd see, you know, uh, fancy cars kind of pulling out, you know, and, um, you know, I guessing clientele had been there overnight, uh, you know, doing whatever it is they do there, which I guess you'd know because, uh, like you said, you've been there, right? No, I'm <laughs> no, no. Comp- Actually, no. I went to film school at uh, at Baptist University, yeah. so every day, yes, I had to do the whole empty. TR walk from through the love hotels and the international schools yeah. uh, and the kindergartens and up to the school. So I saw it was very odd because I, my, I was born actually at Baptist University Hospital. So it's very odd that the, the entire human like evolution from conception to, to birth mm-hmm. to education like can you get you can all do that in Kowloon Tong. Yeah, you're kind of like a salmon, you know, returning from where you were spawned, right? Right. Okay. <laughs> I'm not saying, you know, I was conceived in Kowloon but I think we're getting to TMI territory. So let's yes, get off the indeed. show. But yeah, one, one interesting fact, um, apparently, uh, the, was it the residence or the place Bruce Lee actually died is in that area, if I remember correctly. 
Yeah, um, so so Kowloon Town is also known for very expensive, independent, like standalone houses. Yeah, um, very expensive neighborhood for real estate. And so, so that house is still there, or it's been turned to love hotel, right? Yeah, I think that I think that's the case. I think it was his residence, and then it got when he passed away, it was sold off, and it's now become uh, a love hotel, if I remember the correctly, the story correctly. And, you know, I'm I'm sure there's some some avid uh, Bruce Lee fans out there who can correct us if um, on the inaccuracies of of the uh, story here. The last the last update I heard was that the government brought it back, turned it into a landmark, and are. There's someone that's going to build a museum there, but um, there hasn't been any update on that front for some time. Um, so I have no idea what's happening yeah, to I that. Mean, that'd be a nice thing to do, but that's going to be a long, hard-fought battle because getting something declared as a landmark in Hong Kong these days with the rent prices and everything is uh, a very... Well, and also getting something to, or getting something to clear with Bruce Lee's family is also difficult. Yeah, yeah I can imagine. And, you know, Jackie Chan had his office in that same area for a while. You could um, literally, uh, walking down to the school, you'd walk by it and see whatever current production he was working on would have big posters. And uh, he's uh, since uprooted and gone off to set up office in Beijing, Beijing? or Shanghai. Uh, Beijing? Yeah. And that building got torn down, even though the wall... Because um, my department now is near that area, uh, and I passed by there last time I was there a couple of years ago. They now only have posts. They still have posters of new Emperor Motion Pictures production because Jackie Chan is a, has a partnership with them. But um, yeah, the building itself has been torn down because I think that was like a house. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah the building is torn down, but the property is still there. All right, well, I, that's probably more than people wanted to know about uh, Kowloon Tong. But if you're coming to Hong Kong, now you know where to visit. Uh, the international schools and the love hotels and the former office of Jackie Chan, all there right in the same area. All right, at the news desk this week, uh, first up, um, Media Asia, the Hong Kong film production company, has announced that John Woo has signed on to remake a film called Manhunt. Um, the film was uh, as a Japanese novel. It was uh, first adapted in 1976 um, as a film called Across the River of Wrath. Now, this is actually a, a fairly famous film in the region because... That film stars um, Ken Takakura, um, a very famous sort of manly man Japanese actor who passed away late la late last year. Uh, and this was actually the first foreign film to be released in China at after the end of the Cultural Revolution. And it was immensely popular at the time and turned Ken Takakura into a household name in Japan. So um, this is a very big, uh, a very big name. This film is very famous in in china as well so that's why um media asia bought the rights actually years ago to remake this film in china um last october apple daily actually reported that andrew lao was supposed to direct this remake and it was supposed to have a cast um that features andy lao kaneshiro takashiro and shu chi um at the time andrew lao actually um uh confirmed that he was offered the project and that the film was in script stage um Shuchi's representative said that um, they it was it was happening and then it wasn't and then they're still in discussion uh, about scheduling so none of the stars were confirmed either at the time um, but it, it all looked like it was in the direction of, of it happening so um, it's a little odd that that five months later um, Media Asia suddenly announces that John Wu has signed on and now is going to do the remake so it seems like the project is being rebooted 
or reset again because I think Andrew Lau might be busy doing uh, from Vegas to Macau three, which has now been announced for for next uh, New Year after it being such a huge hit in China. The company Bona on another go for from Vegas Macau. Uh, the franchise. So Angelo plays a huge part of that franchise. So obviously he has to go and do that. Um, so I guess he doesn't have time to work on Manhunt anymore. So now John Woo is going to do it. And the whole thing is be starting again. And uh, the script is apparently being written at the moment. Um, and it's right now set for a start date of in, uh, in autumn, sometime in the fall. Um, so that means it won't get released until likely late 2016. Uh, and at the speed that John Wu works, we may not even get into 2017. But at least now that we know John Wu has another project in the works and it's, uh, it's going to be a contemporary action drama. Um, it's about a prosecutor who was framed um, for robbery and rape. So he has to go on the run and, and prove his um, uh, innocence. So, of course, um, the wish list, surely, now that John Wu is doing the project and it's the uh, Greater China Project and there's a big studio behind it and it's a contemporary film it's an action film the star that everyone is thinking about is guess Paul guess uh, John Woo action movie um, Toy Hark uh, John Woo action movie. John Woo action movie. John Woo action movie. Of course, Charm Fat. Everyone wants Charm Fat now. Yes, but of course, um, as as our fan of the show Ross Chen of LoveHKFilm.com said on Twitter, yeah, we all want Charm Fat, but it's probably going to be Huang Xiaoming, just because you know it's a China. It's it's, it's a Hong Kong China co-production. That means there has to be a China star, uh, and there are three major roles in the film as far as we know from the report last year so um, I'm sure that it's going to be a China star as one of those roles so let's see what happens um, I I think it's always good to have a new John Woo project no matter what you think about The Crossing um, and I hope that uh, John Woo has recovered well enough from his health crisis a few years ago to um, to complete The Crossing Part 2 which is supposedly coming this sometime this year and, and, and work on this film instead, uh, as well yeah, uh, just a quick question because if you know when you look at his filmography over on the uh, Hong Kong Movie Database, um, we've got uh, Red Cliff and Red Cliff Two, of course, in two thousand eight, two thousand nine. I think most people, if they follow um, Hong Kong or China cinema at all, know those titles. Then we've got something called Day of the Beast in two thousand thirteen. Not a lot of details on it, and The Flying Tigers in two thousand and fourteen. Now, The Crossing, um, which does star Wang Xiaoming. Um, was recently released, and I think we'll probably see that on video um, pretty soon. But that's part one, and as you mentioned, there's a, you know supposedly a part two coming. But what about these other two titles? Are these really John Woo projects? Are these things that didn't uh, ever get released, or do you know anything about them? Okay, so chronologically, actually, John Woo was working on The Crossing um, after right after Red Cliff. Um, and he was supposed to do that, and then also have those other projects, uh, the two that you mentioned. But of course, then he had he, he got sick. He was diagnosed with lymphoma, and then he was um, out of the game for about two, three years. So after his, his his recovery, he came back and continued working on the crossing. That became sort of his next project because that was like a passion project of his. Now, when I talk to, um, as far as from what I know, Day of the Beast. Um, and and flying tigers exists. Flying tigers is also a passion project of um, 
John Woo and, and it had the script was ready, the the fund the finance was also ready, but I think it was also put off because uh, or halted at least temporarily because of the lymphoma. So when I talked to Terence Chang last year in um in Khan, um and I interviewed about the crossing, um and I asked him, well, what does John Woo have coming up? He did mention that there is a uh, there was a Western thriller that was set in Japan and Flying Tigers. I think uh, Day of the Beast is that Japanese, set, Japan set Western thriller. And Flying Tigers, I think, was about, I forgot what Flying Tigers Flying is already, Tigers but I think it's World the, War II. The World War II fighter squadron. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So it's about that. And, and yeah, everyone thought that that those were going to be his projects. Well, at this moment, I'm not even sure if Crossing 2 is, is finished yet because it's supposed to come out in May, but no, annou- but no release date has been announced yet. And it seemed like um, Manhunt was... Uh, John Woo is actually director for hire on that project, as in this, this was not a project he had developed a long time ago, but rather Media Asia approached him to do this project. And I guess, um, at least from the official statement from Media Asia... John Woo was a, was a fan of Takakura Ken or Ken Takakura. And after his death, I guess he wanted he got offered this project and figured, hey, it's a good tribute to to Takakura. Mm. Um, so this project sort of just jammed, shoehorned its way into his filmography. Um, so those two films do exist, but they have not been made. And they were actually on John Woo's plan for a very long time. All right. Well, we'll have to just, you know, um, hope that his health holds and we'll see some of this work uh, come out in the very near future. Yep. Okay, next up. Second news this week. Um, last week, there was the uh, wrap of the Osaka Asian Film Festival. Um, and we have a few Hong Kong winners and, and China, Greater China Region winners. Uh, meeting Dr. Sun, the Taiwan comedy uh, from the director of Blue Gate Crossing, Otherwise known as the film that brought us Gui Lun Mei, um, the the film from the from that director uh, won um, the Grand Prix, and it, and and also won the uh, Audience Award. It's a very crowd pleasing comedy about about a group of middle school kids who wants to uh, steal the school's uh, Sun Sun Yat Sen uh, bronze statue so they can make money um, to pay to pay their various school fees and then they discovered that another group of kids in the same school were planning the same heist so the film is about those two group of kids trying to steal the statue um, it's a very charming film it's a very funny film and uh, it also won best script last year the best original screenplay if I remember correctly at the Golden Horse Awards last year so it's not a very huge surprise um, for the interest of this show um, Charlene Choi uh, was recognized with a special mention from the jury uh, for her performance in Sarah, the, the Herman Yao film. Um, the, act, the actual acting award actually though went to um, an actress named, this is a Thai name, so I hope I don't get it wrong, Prichaya Potanenikorn. It's actually like 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 fifteen letters in that name. Um, the the actress from Thailand won the uh, Yakushi Pearl Award, which is the only actual acting award in the in the festival, uh, for the hit romantic comedy um, "I Find Thank You Love You," uh, which uh, sounds like a actually a hilarious film, by the way. Um, so she won the acting award, but Charlene Charlene did get recognition uh, for her very gutsy performance in the film. Um, uh, by the way, the head of the jury at the festival was Pan Ho Chan, the Hong Kong director, um, and the the rest of the and the other two jury members is um, 
Do from Korea and Japanese actress Nina Takeda. Um, so yeah, cool. You know, Hong Kong uh, quite few, quite a few Hong Kong films play at the Osaka Asian Film Festival this year, and it was a very solid lineup. It also included um, stuff like uh, it had the world premiere of Derek Kwok's uh, uh, Full Strike at a Hong Kong night. So. A Hong Kong section, so it has a, quite a few Hong Kong films. You have, um, uh, of course, Pound Returns, Aberdeen, and uh, a few few popular, like Overheard Free. I'm not sure, I have to double check. But a few, you know, great Hong Kong titles from, from, from A Golden Era, Don't Go Breaking My Heart 2. Um, so it's a very solid festival, and it's also the only major film festival in Osaka now. So um, there's also, you know, great value in that in the existence of that festival. So now Charlene, thanks to the buzz from the awards last week, Charlene Choi is now, uh, at least publicity-wise, the front runner for the Best Actress Award at this year's Hong Kong Film Festival. Uh, Paul, have you gotten out to see Sarah yet? No, it's uh, I because of the scrambling around to catch uh, the film we did uh, last time, uh, Lucky Star, and then uh, this week's film, I was not able to find it appropriate time slot to get out to see it. I, I am interested to see it, um, though I have heard from people who have seen it that uh, they're not really sure why it has a Category 3 rating, apparently. Um, maybe you can uh, shed a little light on that, since uh, I don't know if we'll have a chance to um, do a review on it until it's late, out on video later. Well, one of the major plot points is about, well, child prostitution, first of all, uh, even though there's no actual explicit scenes of child prostitution um actually charlene choice character who was still a minor has an affair with an older man played with simon yam and there's some kind of there's some a few explicit sex scenes that have no nudity but you know um there are a lot of suggestive stuff that was quite strong um and also there's quite a few uh profanity so I think it's mostly for profanity and the the fact that it's a minor, a character who is a minor, even though Charlene is like thirty five, um, the char- a character like a minor, under eighteen minor having sex with an older man, um, especially in the way that the film shows it. So I think that was really those are the two big problems. And I don't, I don't actually doubt the category three rating, even though yes, it's a little tame, but there's a lot of suggestive stuff in there that makes it not you know suitable for anyone under eighteen. Yeah. So if you're looking for the other side of the Category 3 spectrum, we will uh, point you back to the Gigolo from earlier this year. Yes, if you want your, your, your Category 3 fix, um, don't, don't get it from Sarah. Sarah is actually a serious movie, and yeah, no, 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 no real titillation there. Sorry. All right. Well, I think that's going to wrap it up for news this week. So uh, why don't we take a short musical interlude, and then we'll come back with a review of Little Big Master. Okay, and we're back, and our movie this week is Little Big Master. Uh, This is a story uh, based on an an actual true story from uh, director Adrian Kwan. Um, He's been involved uh, with some commercial stuff, but also he's a person who's tied to, um, how would we call them, I guess, films that are a little bit more spiritual 
or sometimes have a little bit more of a religious message um, to them. It's Christian films. They're <laughs> actually financed by by Christian organizations, so they're yeah. Christian films. So Christian films. So um, yeah. if you you know if you if you turn to his um, you know some of his work in the past, um, things like uh, the Miracle Box and um, some of his titles more recently, um, some some very odd titled films. Um, I, I haven't actually seen uh, some of his more recent stuff, like the Dream, t uh, a Dream Team, excuse me, or Team of Miracle. We will rock you. Um, two of his more recent films from 2009 and 2011. But he's also done some mainstream films, like uh, If You Care, the Eason Chan, Jillian uh, uh, Chung movie, which I a lot of people didn't like it, but I that's you know that's a one that's a favorite in my book. I liked Eason in that. I thought it was a funny film. Um, and also the film uh, 6 a.m., which is, uh, of course, with the two uh, young uh, pop singer idols from um, their boys, if I remember correctly. Not exactly. Boys. I always get boys and shine confused because they were both kind of coming up around the same time. And, and sometimes I get the, uh, the, the, the two kids from each group mixed up. But yeah, so they're from boys. Um, also with the uh, cameos by Jillian and, and Charlene and that one as well. Um, so he's done some mainstream stuff, and he's uh, you know set aside some time for his movies with a message, uh, which are always which is, you know nothing wrong with that, all well and good. And so now he's back this time with a little big master. Let me just talk a little bit about the story uh, here. So this is based on a true story. The film follows the life of Loi Wai Hung, uh, played by Miriam Young, and she quits her job as a headmistress at an elite primary school with a plan to live, live an easier life and travel with her husband, uh, Dong, who's played by Louis Ku. But when she sees a local news story that a poor village school with only five students left is going to be forced to close down, she decides to take up a position and try and help the students in the school out. But as she commits more and more time to the school, the children and the children, her decision starts to have some serious ramifications on both her health and the, her relationship with her husband. So, um, so yeah, this is a, a film that uh, I guess it's kind of a pa maybe a passion project for uh, director Kwan. Um, the scriptwriter is uh, Hannah Chung, who he's worked with on his past couple of movies as well. And it, it seems like they have a pretty good working relationship because um, I think the story here is very, very solid. Of course, they are working from, you know, uh, material that is, is stuff that's actually happened. And these are real people that they can talk to and, and get to know. Um, the kids were based on real kids. And the situation was a situation that happened. And the school has since become quite uh, quite famous as a result. Um, the school is based in um, the southern area of Yun. Uh, Yunlong is one of the northernmost parts of Hong Kong, near um, uh, near to sort of, sort of near the... Um, Shenzhen border area, but this is in the sort of more the central southern part of that, um, at a place called the, the, the in the, the film it's called Yuntin Kindergarten, uh, which is in Camtin and Yunlong. But the actual school's name, the real school itself, is called Yunkong Kindergarten. You can actually do a Google search for Yunkong and you'll find it um, right there on the map. And um, I've not, I didn't know about the school really before. Uh, seeing the movie, but I actually passed by it on my way to work because uh, it's one of the main streets um, out of from where I live that passes down to a main highway, and the, the bus pretty much goes right by it um, every day. But it's kind of off down on a, on a side street, so you can't see it directly from uh, the road that we take. So it's pretty interesting from 
this perspective to think that this story has, you know, been going on the past couple years. And really, you know, I didn't know that much about it. Uh, it does, the film does touch on a couple social issues. It looks at, you know, the idea of education, the rising costs of education, pressures on young kids, especially kids in kindergarten and pre-kindergarten, um, income disparity. So at the start of the film, the character played by Miriam starts out at this really sort of elite, high-end school. I guess it's based in uh, Discovery Bay or somewhere. I, I think the, the real school that the real person was at was based in Discovery Bay. Uh, but same kind of idea. She's having, you know, issues with the parents because the parents pay a lot of money and so they have lots of expectations. And so a lot of pressures. And um, the idea of cram schools is also touched on here in the film. The casting, I think, is superb. Um, the kids are great. The kids are cute. But really, this is Miriam's film. Um, and I'll be very surprised if she's not up for a Best Actress uh, in next year's awards because really she's the one who's kind of carrying this whole uh, this whole story forward. Uh, Lewis is good, but his role as her husband is kind of small, and which might be a good thing, because I think people are, in, are kind of on Lewis overdrive right about now, I mean, given the fact that he was in pretty much every <laughs> Chinese New Year movie. And, and I just saw today on Facebook, um, I guess, preview posters for uh, SPL2, and so he's on one of the posters, and people are kind of like commenting, oh no, him again? <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think people might be getting a little bit fed up with Lewis, all the Lewis exposure uh, at this point in time. So maybe he needs to take a little bit of a vacay, spend some of his hard-earned money, and then, you know, come back uh, a little bit later in the year. Uh, but, of course, I tease. I like Lewis. I like his his work and his films a lot. Um, but uh, the one thing that surprised me about this film, because he's kind of playing a much more reserved character... Uh, very, you know, as the husband, the two have tensions because of things that are going on. But, you know, this isn't like a, this isn't like an overt drama, I would say. And, but they're both so very good. They're both, both so very nuanced in the roles here. And to really bring this to bear, I think for me, it comes out more so because I've only just recently watched Don't Go Breaking My Heart 2 uh, from last year. And, um, Comparing their characters as they play them in that movie with their characters as they're in this movie, because they're both kind of in relationships in both movies, it's it really shows the range that they can do um, when they go from something that's kind of like a silly light comedy to something that's, you know, based in reality, based with real issues, still has some fun, but is, you know, also some kind of serious at times. And so um, I, I really you know, garnered an appreciation, a stronger appreciation for both of them um, through this film. But uh, aside from Miriam and Lewis, there's the kids. There's five kids, okay? And let me just say right off the bat, I'm biased, okay? I admit it. Um, there are five little girls, kindergarten girls. I have a daughter, you know, and, and I, when, when you're a parent, you just automatically start to, you know, relate and, and I guess transpose your own children when you see children up on the big screen. Um, this was a big problem for me when I was watching The Walking Dead, um, Wait. Two, two, two seasons ago, because, uh, if you, if you watch The Walking Dead, there's, uh, there's a, there's a baby that's born in the process of it named, and it's, uh, Rick's daughter's named Judith. And there's a couple scenes that just, I, I had to stop watching, you know, and I would, I would have thought, you know. When I'm in my younger days, when I'm just a single guy, I wouldn't care. You know, it's like, oh, it's a kid. Show me some more zombies and stuff. 
and now my my sensibilities have just been completely thrown out the window um but yeah the kids here are very very cute um there's five of them um and some of their relatives their parents or their their caregivers are uh some famous uh, famous actors that you've seen before so for example there's a little girl named kaka whose uh, father is patrick kung uh, mother is um, uh, rain lao i think i think i've got the 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 child to actors names correct um there's a little girl shushit siu shut who, who's a uh, little little snow who's um her father is actually richard m mm. old richard m mm. yes that richard m mm, you know uh pom pom uh, Richard M, mm, who's like an you'd think he'd be her grandfather, but no, it's actually her father in the film. Um, and so that's an interesting relationship. Um, there's another girl, uh, Tam Mei Chu, who's uh, she has a caregiver because her parents uh, had a tragedy. Uh, there's uh, two little um, Indian, or maybe I think they're uh, Middle Eastern girls, maybe Pakistan. I don't remember if they said specifically um, what they're. What their ethnicity was um but uh, they're named kitty and jen jenny uh fatima and but they speak cantonese in the film and their mom speaks cantonese and some really great and very cute performances from all of the kids the film too visually looks gorgeous i mean it's some really nice shots some very nice cinematography um some of the scenes are lit amazingly well to bring the you know make these characters uh, come to really really come to life um, you know normally a film like this where you would think that it's okay it's touching on some local issues and you know it's not you know a big action epic so they're not expecting like sweeping vistas this is about a small poor village school that's a real place but they really spend a lot of time paying attention to detail with the cinematography and and making things look very very good even when things weren't supposed to look good like when the schools they're doing some shots of the school looking kind of run down it still looks good on the screen so um you know really kudos to the crew and and to the to the art direction and everything that kind of pulled all this together because they could have you know they could have gone a much cheaper route with it and they didn't um so the film looks good very melodramatic though and perhaps overtly so and and this is where i kind of have a problem a little bit of a problem with the film sometimes because almost with every one of the kids there is a scene that's just gonna be like a tear extraction factory okay it's just gonna make you start bawling your eyes out um, the kids will start crying and then the audience is crying and then oh we got to solve the problem and then oh, okay everybody's happy and oh no something else has happened and uh, more tears and you know, bring some Kleenex with you when you go to watch this movie, because if not, your shirt's going to be soaking wet by the time you're done. Um, that That is a, sometimes a little bit forced, I would say, because it's like every one of these kids has a situation that suddenly pops up to make this sort of, you know, tear-jerking moment. Um, and, and again, they're dealing with kids who are on the poor end of the spectrum here, so that's to be expected, but the fact that it's, you know, it's just kind of sort of color by numbers resolution in some cases and Miriam's character is a little bit Pollyanna-esque at times but not so much that it comes anywhere near to being problematic or derailing the film um, the other thing that I would say is right at the end there's a resolution that happens that feels a little bit strange because suddenly it's done in still shots and text um, and it's almost as if there might have been a problem with the footage they got somehow, and they could only use 
some stills because it looks like they filmed an actual scene, but then they just took stills from the scene and then threw some text next to it. So I don't know if there was maybe some kind of technical problem that happened or if that's a directorial choice, it just seems kind of flat. Um, by I, I hear that the uh, I hear that the original cut was probably about two three hours long, mm. so I'm guessing the director had to cut it down like like drastically to get under two hours. Yeah, that that could be. But even so, I mean that last the last scene seems like they could have spent a couple minutes on it, you know, and, and had a, had something play out and then you know fade over to some to some narration or to some text on the screen the juxtaposition of this like you know it's kind of like a screensaver you know if you've got photos on your screensaver where one just kind of pops up and the other fades out it's kind of like that kind of an effect and it just seems weird a weird way to to end the film um then of course uh they do go in and uh as the credits come up they show some juxtaposition which is very nice of the uh, actors playing uh, the roles and the people they're playing. They show, so they'll show a picture of the, the real headmistress and they show a picture of the five students next to um, the five actresses that they got to play them. And some of them are really good casting, I got to say. I mean, there were a couple that I was like, wait, are, is it the same kid? And it couldn't be because the kids are older. They're now like, um, you know, going, going on to not high school yet, but I guess older levels of uh, primary school. Um, and yeah, so the very end of the film too. This is this is one thing that I kind of found strange, and maybe you can give some perspective on this, Kevin. They get to the end of the film, and it, the end of the film has the standard disclaimer, right? It says all characters appearing in this work are fictitious, and any resemblance to real persons living or dead is purely coincidental. But that's not true, because this is based on real people, right? And they show you them in the credits right there. You see the pictures. It's based on real people. Not It's not truly fictitious. So I guess the stories are fictitious in case they get sued or anything. They have to say, okay, the stories... Because if they're portrayed negatively, then the people can sue for libel. But it's it's like, I mean, it's the same so, school and it's the same five kids. Yes, and, and they, the principal still is still teaching there. And the husband there, yes. was a museum curator and Lewis is a museum curator and it just seems like somebody slapped it up there because they're like, what do we put in the credits? I don't know. Oh, yeah, we got to put it's a disclaimer. disclaimer. It's a disclaimer because what happened last, actually, this is, this is a, a good lesson because um, Peter Chan's theorists also based on real characters, even though they didn't use the real names. But um, Vicky Zhao's character is based on a, a real person. And in the second half of the film, uh, Vicky Zhao's character does some pretty not so nice things and actually the person who whose story is is or whose character was modeled after friend to sue because she's like i didn't do those things in the movie that's what the disclaimer is for look the movie says everything's fictitious so you can't sue us there's a disclaimer mm. it's fictitious we didn't say it's real so that is the that's the cover our ass thing is if we portray anyone negatively or if anyone is unhappy with the way they're portrayed then then, then they will sue for libel. So they have to put a disclaimer. Look, look, it's all fictitious. This is a movie, so you can't know. sue us for making shit up. I'm Sorry, not. I'm not a lawyer, but but it seems to me that they got to change that 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 second part. Any resemblance to real persons, living or dead, is purely coincidental because it's not coincidental. It's not. Uh, also, you know what? If you're you're making this movie based on this person. That's not a coincidence. 
They also can't charge money for the rights, Paul. <laughs> if it's fictitious, <laughs> they can't charge money for the rights. All right, any lawyers out there, write us. Anyway. Write us and tell us. Tell us. Yes. Am I on something wrong, here, or, right. or 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 what? Am I climb, barking up a the wrong tree of litigation? You um, really have to disclaimer everything these days, Paul. <laughs> really, everything. <laughs> All right. I know, I get that. I, I I understand that. It just seems like the wording here is not accurate, because there's nothing okay. there's nothing about there's nothing coincidental about this story, matching the fact that it's based on real people. Um, all right, but there you have it. It's a great movie. Um, I really liked it. For I, for me, it's because it it pushes those buttons. Like I said, it's it's not too deep. It's not too heavy. Um, it's shot amazingly well. And I think it's a, a good local story. I like stories that tend to highlight the locality of Hong Kong and to be about Hong Kong. There is a little bit of politics in it. I mean, um, you know, there are some, if you want to say, are, are there any real antagonists? Um, you know, you've got a couple cameos like uh, Sammy Leung uh, shows up and he's kind of like a sleazy um we have these cram schools where they charge kids a lot of money um, to try and get them to do well on their entrance exams. And so he plays like uh, a guy, I guess he's in charge of a, it, it didn't seem like he had his own school. Like he's somehow associated with some kind of uh, education board or something. But um, he had a, he had a scheme that involved uh, a school like this. Um, and then there's uh, Fire Lee, okay, you guys uh, know Fire Lee, the director of uh, Lost in Time. Love oh, in Time. Love in Time, sorry, Love, Love in, in time. time. Derek Yee was Lost in Time. <laughs> my, my mistake, my mistake. Derek yeah. No, yeah, the, 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 Derek the film that still holds, the, the, still hold, well, that held the record for me for the worst ending of all time. Worst shock ending ever. Until, until 2014. Ever. And and that was replaced in my book by Don't Go Break My Heart Two, but that's a story for another day because I don't want to rant oh, about that oh, film now. Um, oh, 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 you the you shots <laughs> fired, yeah, Paul. He uh, he uh, he uh, he's he he's got a small cameo role, sort of a jerky uh, village head here, um, and it, it's it's kind of entertaining and it's a little bit over the top too. I mean, I've lived in a village. Uh, multiple villages over the, over the course of my uh, life living here in the past 15 years or so. And I've never met a character as a, in, in the different villages I've been in. The village heads never been quite like this. He's a little bit of a caricature of kind of like uh, um, uh, Alex Fong's character from Overheard 3. And a little bit of a Taiwan gangster kind of thrown in for, for good merit. But... Um, yeah, it's, so th there's nothing really too heavy going on in the film other than the circumstance itself. So um, I, I'd strongly recommend it. If you like those kind of films, if you like films that tend to be um, a little bit, you know, less in terms of the dyna dynamic drama and, and the, the, the uh, you know, the big bad villains and these kinds of things, but are looking for something that's got a little bit more of a local flavor, I, I think this is something you'll really, really enjoy. You're listening to the East Screen, West Screen podcast. Visit Kongcast.com for more.
Well, I think that's going to do it for our show this week. You have been listening to the Screen West Screen podcast. And if you would like to be part of the show, you can get in touch with us via the website at concast.com. That's K-O-N-G-C-A-S-T dot com. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter and hit us up there the, uh, at uh, twitter.com slash concast. Um, you can drop us a line on email, eastscreen at gmail.com, if you'd like to ask us a question or give us a comment. You know, tell us we ramble on way too long or we don't talk enough or you think that, that you know, we have feminine voices and we need to speak more like Batman. Uh, whatever you want to tell us, you can drop us a line there. Or, of course, leave us some comments over on the website and we'll be happy to hear from you. We're also over on Facebook as well and the other social media platforms in some way, shape, or form. But um, those are usually the most direct ways to get in touch with us. But if you're going to do anything, I would ask you to please keep up with Kevin and all the writing that he does. So, Kevin, where can people follow you? I, uh, I write on Twitter. Sorry, I was doing Batman voice. Um, I, I'm on Twitter. I'm sorry, did you prefer to Batman voice, Paul? Well, I mean, um, I'm know, Batman. It, it depends. Is it dark outside? Then I guess I, so. Yeah. I'm Batman. I'm on Femicidia. No, no, that's, that's, that was terrible. That was the Frody voice I was worried about. Um, no, I. Sorry, you know, no one is ever going to complain about us rambling too long, Paul. Ever, I mean, no, I mean, sorry, no one's gonna ever complain about us speaking too little. Ever, you think not? Ever, when we did three-hour shows, no one's gonna <laughs> complain. Yeah, those sh- those shows are too short. They they don't fit my commute, my three-hour commute. Yeah, well, and we then I'll a, write. Back. We had a couple truckers yeah. who were fans, right? They were like, "I need yeah. six hours." Yeah, <laughs> right back is like if you have a three-hour commute, sir. I suggest you change jobs. Um, sorry, sorry, huge digression there. It's like midnight. Um, okay, you can follow me on Twitter at um, the Golden Rock. That's one word, the Golden Rock. Or you can uh, follow my daily news writing at um, www.fimbiz. That's it with Z or Z if you're not in America. Uh, dot Asia. That's www.fimbiz.asia. Um, you can also email me at kevin at fimbiz.asia if you have anything, any questions about the news or any comments or you tell me I suck or, or you know, whatever. Um, yeah, so, so, so there you go. You want to tell him how sexy his Batman voice sounds? In well, a Batman you. voice. <laughs> there you go. Swear to me. <laughs> Yeah, Fifty Shades of uh, a Gray Suit, right? Uh, all right, yeah. So uh, next show is going to be episode 159, where we're, I think I think we're going to be talking about uh, Andy Lau's latest film, because I love Andy Lau, uh, Lost in Love. Now, I'm not really sure, because part of me doesn't want to watch this movie in the cinema, because I, I know it's probably going to be a terrible tearjerker. Um, but uh, it's Andy Lau, and I feel like i got to get out and, and support Andy and, and be in the cinema. So I think that will be uh, the next film because I don't think we've got another local film. So I, it's either that or if Sarah still has some screenings getting out to that um, because I think the next thing is, is a couple weeks away. And you're going to be quite busy in doing because uh, you've got film art coming up and then the, yep, and the film festival film festival soon after that. And, uh, you know, a lot of stuff's going to be going on. We're still going to try and find sometimes, you know, uh, to, to squeeze in an hour here or there to, so we can keep the show going. 
Um, but it might be a little bit bumpy uh, between now and then, depending on what's getting released and what our schedules are like. I, I do want to throw out a quick recommendation, though, because if, if you haven't seen it, and this is a little bit more towards the West screen side of things, uh, check out Ethan Hawke in Predestination, which is an amazing film if you like sci-fi. Um, you probably know about it um, if you follow sci-fi news at all. And this is already out there on the uh, rental universe. It's up on iTunes and other places, but it's actually getting a theatrical release in Hong Kong uh, this week uh, opposite the Andy Lau movie. I've seen it already. Um, I'm tempted to go out and, and see it in the cinema, but I don't know if I'll have time to. But um, it's, a, it's a very, very well-made piece of science fiction, um, especially if you know the story from the novella. And so I strongly recommend Ethan Hawke is really good in it. And so is his uh, co-star. So definitely check that out. Predestination, if you haven't seen it. All right. And so, yeah, whatever we're going to be covering, we'll have that news and a whole lot more, including Kevin and his Batman voice. Until then, this is the East Screen, West Screen podcast saying, be true to your school, and we'll see you next time. See you next time, everybody. Oh, uh-huh.